You're listening to Joey's Totally Tech, your tech podcast. Hello, everyone. Class is in session. Too often, I find people don't know the difference between storage and memory, be it on their computers, tablets, phones, etc. Well, in today's podcast, I will teach you the difference in our first of the PC Tech 101 series here on Joey's Totally Tech. I didn't realize how common of an issue it was before I worked at The Grid, which is Goodwill's technology store here in Charlotte, North Carolina, but I found many people don't know the difference between storage and memory. Now this is for the PC noob. I know many of you tech people out there are going to say, this is basic stuff, Joey, and that's fine. Just skip ahead to the news segment and I will understand. But I know I have a number of listeners who probably tune in on their smartphones, or possibly their computers too, but don't really know that much about tech. And really, this PC Tech 101 series is for that listener. Or it's entirely possible a gamer may not know the difference either, because while they're into games, The tech behind it could be a mystery to them. But after today, this should be less of a mystery. Storage. Storage could include your hard drive, solid state drive, also known as the SSD, a thumb drive or flash drive, SD card, and more. Many phones have EMMC flash for their storage. And as the name suggests, this is where you keep your files. This is also where your operating system and software is kept. When talking to people who are new to the concept, I like to describe this as somewhat of a virtual file cabinet. You have your files organized in a particular way in the file cabinet and store them for later usage or archival purposes. So what then is memory? Memory. Memory, also known as RAM or random access memory, is where you open your files to when you take them out of the file cabinet. I like to think of this as your workspace area or desk, but you can't just leave things on the desk and turn the computer completely off. You see, there's a mean janitor that comes in 
and cleans everything off your desk. He throws it all in the garbage. RAM is known as volatile memory. And when memory is talked about, generally this is what people should be talking about. However, I must point out that many tablet and phone manufacturers have made the strange marketing decision, I hate marketing sometimes, of often using words storage and memory interchangeably. This doesn't tend to happen when it comes to PCs these days, but I've seen so many tablet boxes refer to the storage as memory, and it really grinds my gears, honestly. But to be fair, the chips in these devices are often called flash memory. Now, if you hear that term or anything like EMMC flash memory, then you can typically assume this is actually storage. But generally speaking, memory should be considered RAM. But back to the desk analogy, you open up your files to memory or the desk, and there you can work on those files. Or you could use whatever software you're using as those two are files technically. When you're done, make sure you put it back in the file cabinet though, as that janitor is going to come in and clean off that desk and everything on it. Now, I mentioned the mean janitor comes and cleans your desk off at night when you shut your computer off, but many laptop users will put their machines in suspension or hibernation. When you suspend your computer, everything will still be in RAM, but your computer appears to be off, but it's actually in a lower powered mode. And with hibernation, it turns your computer off, but it first stores what is in your RAM to the storage area for retrieval when you power your computer back on. It even saves the state your operating system was in, so you get right back to work as you are before. Basically, you've hidden that stuff from the power off janitor. Now there is one other type of memory I have not covered yet, ROM, or read-only memory. You won't see this in any marketing material today. There are still ROM chips for things like your computer's BIOS or UEFI. A totally separate subject for another PC Tech 101 episode. But for now, that's just your system startup settings before you even boot to the operating system, be it Windows, Mac OS, or a Linux distribution. And those two will need to be covered in a separate PC Tech 101 episode, of course. ROMs were very commonplace in older machines such as the Commodore 64 or Atari 8-bit computers, for example. And if you remember video game cartridges, the games themselves were stored on a ROM chip inside the cartridge. Oh, and a cool thing about cartridges back then was game developers could expand the capabilities of a system by adding more RAM on the cartridge too, or adding additional chips for different features. But that's a side note. Again though, generally if a PC tech person is talking about memory, they're talking about RAM. So let's talk about examples of each. So there are a number of form factors for storage these days. As mentioned, we have hard drives, which are inside of a computer. Oh, and by the way, some people refer to the entire box that their computer system is in 
as the hard drive. And if you're doing that, no, that is not your hard drive. Your hard drive is actually a much smaller metallic casing within your computer. And inside this are multiple disc platters, which are read by an attenuator arm, much like a record player or CD player would do. In fact, these platters look a lot like CDs. Then you have solid state drives or SSDs. These are a similar type of casing, but oftentimes plastic if they're connected to what's called a SATA port. Again, that's a topic for another episode. But there's also newer technologies such as M.2 and NVMe SSDs that aren't necessarily in that type of casing, but you have the board with the components on it instead. These will slot into appropriate slots on the motherboard. SSDs often have some type of flash memory. Again, storage and not RAM on board. Read times on SSDs are much faster than hard drives, so these days it's common for people to put their operating system on these for faster boot up times, as well as any software they use regularly. You may be familiar with flash drives or thumb drives. Those terms are interchangeable with each other, really. They have flash memory, storage, not RAM, inside of these devices, and they plug right into your USB. There's also SD and micro SD cards commonly used in phones, cameras, and other digital devices. You have EMMC flash, common in phones and tablets, as well as small board computers. But oftentimes these are soldered onto the board, though on some systems, particularly certain small board computers, EMMC can be replaced. But if it's in a laptop, such as common in Chromebooks and cheaper laptop models, or your phones, you won't be able to replace that storage and do that type of upgrade. An older form of storage, one you may occasionally see in enterprise or in retro computing, is tape. A lot of systems use a specific type of tape, but then some retro systems like the Commodore 64, Atari 8-bit computers, or TI-99 could read and store programs on a regular audio cassette tape. And along with those audio cassette tapes, you have floppy disks. They are generally not used today by most people other than retro computing enthusiasts, though the military only recently completely phased them out of their nuclear control systems. These were much older 8-inch floppy disks too, not floppies you'd see for home use in the 80s or 90s. So those are all storage forms and keep in mind that's subject to change over time. Now onto memory or RAM. Typically you're going to see RAM for a PC sold in sticks. In modern PCs they are called DIMMs or SODIMMs, the latter of which is typically used in laptop PCs but you'll occasionally find them in small form factor desktop PCs too. But these sticks are boards with RAM chips soldered onto them. They just install in slots on the motherboard. Occasionally on some PC systems, normally in laptop PCs, you may occasionally see this, RAM chips could be soldered onto the motherboard. And unfortunately in this case, the RAM is not upgradable. 
Oh yes, on most PC systems you can upgrade the RAM, and you can typically replace the storage in them too, as I briefly touched on a moment ago. Keep in mind there are limitations to the upgrades you can make, limited by both your BIOS or UEFI and your processor. Operating systems can have their limitations to what they can work with too, but these days you are more likely to run into the limits of how much you can upgrade your RAM rather than how much you can upgrade your storage. On old retro systems, you might find the RAM is actually soldered onto the motherboard, like the Commodore 64. However, many of these systems had either RAM expansion slots or RAM expansion cartridges where you could upgrade the RAM easily. You didn't even have to open up the computer back then to do that, so I think that was a much less intimidating approach and I'd think it would be pretty cool if you could do that today. Well, I don't think it's hard to add RAM to your system today if you could get over the intimidation of opening your system up, as you're essentially installing the DIMMs much like you would a cartridge anyway. So now you should know the difference between storage and memory. Your storage is where you keep the files while the memory is where you work on those files. Remember the cabinet versus desk with the mean power off janitor analogy and that is effectively the difference between the two. Last dismissed, but keep listening after these messages as we'll have this week's tech news. Hey everyone, it's Joey, and I'm recording this for my iPhone 6S. Have you heard about the Anchor app yet? If not, let me explain. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. I'm recording from my phone right now. I normally use my professional microphone at home to record, but hey, I'm showing that you can do this on the phone too. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast. There's no minimum listenership required. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app in the Apple App Store or Android's Google Play Store today to get started. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Just a quick note, there is a visual companion video to go along with this week's episode that will be placed up on YouTube and library. I had hoped to have time to edit that video this weekend, but due to my schedule and other things going on, I wasn't able to get that done. But I will let you know in a future episode when that video is up. Another week has gone by, and sure enough, there has been tech news. 
Intel may be coming out with an actually honest-to-God good APU, while AMD is releasing Ryzen 3000 XT processors. Apple is up to antitrust shenanigans, apparently. Some Chromebooks will soon be able to run Windows apps. Twitter launches voice tweets. T-Mobile apologizes for its outage last Monday. Your doctor may prescribe a video game for your ADHD. And SpaceX plans on building floating spaceports for transport and point-to-point travel on Earth. All this and more, it's time for the news on Joey's Totally Tech. It's June 22nd, 2020, and this just in, Samsung Blu-ray players have mysteriously stopped working. The problem with the hardware began this weekend. ZDNet reported the problem where people describe it as an endless loop when booting up. They hear a buzzing sound, and then it tries to reboot. It's even occurring in some instances when nothing is stuck in the machine. Some people are even reporting their players aren't responding to button commands at all. Samsung's community manager in the forums has said, quote, We are aware of customers who have reported an issue with the boot loops on some Blu-ray players, and we're looking into this further. We will post an update here on this thread when we have more information, end quote. As of Sunday morning when adding this to the tech news script, there was no fix for the issue. Intel XE graphics have been demoed. Intel's Ryan Shrout has published a short demo of an ultra-thin prototype notebook with a Tiger Lake APU. This next-gen architecture features the new Willow Cove core architecture as well as Intel's latest generation XE graphics. This demo is showing Battlefield 5 running stable at 30 plus frames per second at 1080p. The specs of this Tiger Lake APU are unknown, but it's believed that the XELP sub-architecture might feature up to 96 execution units. So it looks like Intel will have APUs that can actually compete with AMD's APUs. Speaking of AMD, AMD has new Ryzen 3000 XT series processors. The Ryzen 3000 series CPUs have been available for about a year, We've got a bit of a wait before the new 4000 series CPUs come out, but as a stopgap, AMD is releasing the Ryzen 3000 XT series using a 7 nanometer manufacturing process. AMD says these chips will have a 4% performance boost over those from the 3000 series. The Ryzen 9 3900 XT, 7 3800 XT, and 5 3600 XT processors have 12, 8, and 6 cores respectively. The 3900 XT will retail at $499, the 3800 XT will be $399, and the 3600 XT will be $249. These new chips top off at 4.7 GHz, which will be powerful enough to run the latest games, edit 4K footage, or run 3D rendering applications. As if slightly older processors couldn't do that already, these will be released July 7th. 
AMD has also released its B550 chipset, the company's first mainstream chipset, with support for PCIe 4.0 following last year's enthusiast-grade X570 chipset. Motherboards incorporating this chipset are available now. They will provide more bandwidth for graphics cards and SSDs than the B450 motherboards. Apple has blocked Facebook Gaming from the iOS App Store. Facebook Gaming has been rejected again from the iOS App Store. The store does not allow third-party apps to distribute games as a separate platform. Facebook Gaming is its own gaming platform, offering games inside of the app with a dedicated social network and the ability to livestream gameplay. Apple has been accused of anti-competitive behavior due to the restrictive business model. Other apps have been banned for offering external subscription services that bypassed Apple's 30% fee. Meanwhile, the European Commission is launching an investigation into the App Store and Apple Play. The first investigation is examining the App Store's mandatory use of Apple's payment processor for in-app purchases. They reference complaints from Spotify, which filed for an antitrust complaint with the EU about this time last year. Spotify has protested for some time that Apple takes a 30% commission on purchases made through the payment system, pressuring Spotify to increase the price of its premium membership service, while Apple Music maintains lower prices. Spotify has chosen to redirect users to a browser window in order to pay for the upgrade. And CEO Daniel X says Apple has retaliated by blocking them from Siri, HomePod, and Apple Watch. The European Commission also says Apple forbids developers from informing consumers of typically cheaper alternatives. Apple had fired back after Spotify's accusations, accusing Spotify of filtering artists on the back end while expecting the Apple Store to provide, quote, critical software development tools, end quote, and, quote, a secure payment system, end quote, for free. Apple pointed to Spotify's attempt to appeal a decision by the U.S. Copyright Royalty Board mandating that they increase royalty payments to the artist. Apple says, quote, this isn't just wrong, it represents a real, meaningful, and damaging step backwards for the music industry, end quote. Apple decided not to join the appeal. The second investigation is looking into Apple's tap-to-pay system. To use it, customers almost always have to go through their pre-installed Apple Pay wallet at the point of sale. A group of Australian banks tried to collectively bargain with Apple for tapped pay or near-field communications tech in 2017 and lost. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission found that greater access to NFC would increase competition, but banks' adoption could stifle other forms of mobile payment technology. NFC has been taking over, at least in the European Union, and really as a retail worker, I can tell you, it's big here in the USA too. According to Quartz, payment processors have been complaining about this internally, but quote, they're not willing to pick a fight with a company that has a cash hoard of around a quarter of $1 million. 
it's better to be friends with a tech titan that controls the App Store and has deep relationships from Washington to Shenzhen, end quote. One last Apple story, as Apple is reclosing stores due to coronavirus spikes. Apple plans to close retail stores in Florida, Arizona, North Carolina, and South Carolina due to coronavirus spikes. The company began reopening stores in May, and as of this past week, 154 of the company's 271 stores were reopened. Apple had reopened all 18 Florida stores, five in Arizona, three in North Carolina, and one in South Carolina prior to the closures. In a statement, Apple said it was temporarily closing the stores in, quote, an abundance of caution, end quote, and is monitoring the situation. No planned date for reopening has been set, and customers who had devices being repaired at the affected locations were able to pick them up this past weekend. If you're just now hearing this on the podcast and needed to pick up your device from one of these stores, sorry, but you're a little late. In stores that have reopened, Apple implemented safety measures, including mandatory masks, social distancing, frequent cleaning, temperature checks, and more. Some stores are only open for repairs and curbside pickup, while others are open with a limited number of people allowed inside. Google and Parallels bring Windows apps to Chromebooks. Google wants Chromebooks to be in the world's redefined workplace, but admits its operating system is lacking in addressing the practical needs of the cloud workforce. But a new partnership with the virtualization software specialist, Parallels, may fix this, at least for Chrome OS enterprise devices. Google and Parallels want to empower enterprise users to seamlessly add full-featured Windows apps, including Microsoft Office, to Chromebook enterprise devices, enable efficient but productive and collaborative work anytime from anywhere, and eliminate additional hardware cost and minimize total cost of ownership. Parallels Remote's application server has allowed Windows apps to be streamed to Chromebooks via the cloud, but the new partnership means apps will be running locally in a virtualized environment. Parallels Desktop would be integrated into the Chrome OS Enterprise. This technology will be coming to Enterprise Chromebooks in the fall. Twitter launches voice tweets on iOS to test a more human touch. A limited group of iOS users are testing Twitter's latest voice tweet function. The new function allows users to broadcast audio of up to 140 seconds long. Audio that goes over that limit will automatically create a thread, though it's only available to select users at this time. All users will be able to see and hear voice tweets. Twitter hopes that the feature will reduce misunderstandings and create a more human experience. T-Mobile was hit by an outage last Monday. Customers have reported that they couldn't make or receive phone calls this past Monday. Data, however, appeared to be unaffected, but some customers reported text messages were also affected. The outage began around 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Monday. 
there was no evidence of the outage being caused by a cyber attack. According to T-Mobile, a fiber optic circuit failed and the backup circuits also failed, causing a chain reaction that strained the network to the point many calls and texts couldn't make it through. T-Mobile has also issued an apology and said they didn't meet their own bar of excellence. The FDA has approved the first prescription video game. Endeavor RX is the first ever video game that can be legally marketed and prescribed as medicine in the United States. The FDA authorized the game to be prescribed after clinical trials showed it was effective in treating ADHD. One-third of children who played the game showed significantly fewer indications of attention deficit after playing the game for 25 minutes a day, five days a week for four weeks. A Facebook contest has revealed deepfake detection is still an unsolved problem. Facebook had a deepfake detection challenge which was an open competition to find algorithms that would spot AI-manipulated videos. More than 35,000 detection algorithms were entered into the contest. The winning algorithm this year was able to spot real-world examples with an average accuracy of 65.18%. Deepfakes have become an increasing threat on social media sites since it has the potential to be misused. So far, deepfakes haven't affected politics so much, an area that has been of concern. But the results of the competition show a lot of work still needs to be done before the automated systems can reliably spot a deepfake. Facebook refuses to pay revenue to Australian media. The Australian government is trying to draft legislation to force Facebook and Google to share advertising revenue they earn from news features on their services. Leading news publishers have demanded that 10% of the revenue the platforms make each year from the news content should be given to local news media. Facebook has rejected calls to share its advertising revenue. News sites represent a small fraction of the content in average users' feeds, so the impact of removing them would be minimal. Google also rejected the demands, claiming it made barely $10 million a year from news-linked advertising. Uber pushes into on-demand public transit with its first software-as-a-service partnership. Marin County in the San Francisco Bay Area is paying Uber a subscription fee to use Uber's management software for its high-occupancy vehicle fleet. Marin Transit provides six-seater and wheelchair-accessible vans to Marin County. Uber's software will facilitate requesting, matching, and tracking of vehicles, and allow Marin Transit trips to show up in the Uber app. There's no booking fee and passengers will pay $4 per mile or $3 for Marin Access Riders. The service will run down Highway 101 between Mill Valley and Novato. Tencent is building a city the size of Midtown Manhattan in China. The Chinese company will build a 320-acre campus in Shenzhen for its employees in China. There will be offices, residences, retail, open spaces, and grass-covered rooftops. 
NBBJ won the development contract for the campus after participating in an international design competition held by Tencent last year. Boston Dynamics is now selling its Spot robot. Spot is now commercially available. Some of you may have seen Boston Dynamics robotic dog Spot. It's now commercially available. The Spot Explored Developer Toolkit is $74,500 and includes the robot, two batteries, a battery charger, a tablet, a robot case, a power case, and the software APIs. Additional Spot payloads will be available for purchase. Customers receive free shipping for a limited time. The current estimated shipping time is six to eight weeks. Businesses will be limited to two units each, or they can contact the sales team for additional units. A new company wants to take you into space in a balloon. Space Perspective is a new company that plans on taking you to the stratosphere in a high-altitude balloon. Customers will be sent up 100,000 feet, where you can see the Earth from above without having to strap into a rocket. Other companies like Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic aim to send space tourists much higher, 50 to 62 miles above the Earth, but development has been slow. Space Perspective's Neptune is propelled by a hydrogen-filled balloon. It ascends at 12 miles per hour, carries eight passengers plus a pilot, and has Wi-Fi. The experience lasts six hours, with two hours spent hovering above the Earth. And last but not least, SpaceX plans to build floating spaceports for rockets bound to different destinations and for hypersonic Earth travel. The company is planning to develop and build these spaceports to provide launch sites for its Super Heavy class launch vehicles. The larger rockets will be used to move large payload rockets to the Moon and Mars as well as point-to-point -point travel on Earth. The Super Heavy rocket booster combined with its Starship spacecraft could potentially reduce the trip time for long-haul flights to only a couple of hours. SpaceX made a presentation in 2017 claiming that it could reach any city on Earth from any other city in less than an hour. They've recently posted a job opening for offshore operations engineers in order to develop this project. And that was the news, and this has been Joey's Totally Tech. I hope you found this informative and entertaining. Thank you for listening, and I will catch you next time.